Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople, today it is our great pleasure to welcome Matthew Konak to the show. Welcome, Matthew. Hi, very nice to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. I said we because I also have my co-host. Hey, Jenna. Hey, happy to be here as always. Uh, this would be cool because all three of us are RevOps people. So hopefully uh, we're going to, well, not hopefully, I know we're going to talk about a whole range of topics from 2022 planning, hiring challenges, some ways of of operating based on some of uh, Amazon's operating principles. So we've got a, a big range of things to talk through. Matthew is the VP of Global Sales Operations and Marketing Operations uh, at MessageBird. MessageBird is an omni-channel communications platform for businesses to communicate with their customers. Uh, we probably won't be talking about much about omni-channel communications, but they do have customers like Facebook, Google, Uber, WhatsApp, Airbnb. So obviously household household names. Before we get into talking about uh, revenue strategy, Matthew, I'd love to. Uh, I'm so curious what hobbies people have picked up during the last you know year and a half during COVID. Any any new hobbies for you? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, very nice to be here. I've uh, loved this podcast in the recent months. So yeah, one hobby that I've been picking up is uh, cycling. After the first months of COVID being locked down in a room, I was looking for ways to keep in shape and uh, started to look at maybe what are the apps who could help me. And then I, I looked at uh, Strava, realized that I had all of my friends, former colleagues on, on it, and that I could actually use my bike to start uh, doing a little bit of uh, of cycling. and. Because of my competitive nature, uh, every time I would go out, Strava would give me medals. And then I would see rides of uh, other friends in the city of San Francisco where I live. So, uh, yeah, I got hooked. And actually, uh, like in the last uh, year and a half, I've done like about 7,000 kilometers now of uh, cycling. It's good. I think a lot of people have picked up exercise-centric hobbies, but you threw an element of competition in there, which which I think makes it, you know, more interesting. Well, you know, actually, you, you mentioned competition. And, uh, you know, oftentimes we hear that more from sales people than we do from sales and revenue operations people. You were a salesperson before. Is that where that kind of came from and you made the transition over? No, actually, um, no, I think it's more of a mindset than anything else. Um, I guess it's uh, maybe it's uh, in revenue operations where you've been working with sales for a long time, maybe the you know, some of their behaviors <laughs> start to be shared and you emulate uh, what people around you do. But no, I think, you know, revenue operations, we want to be extremely data-driven. We are always, always analyze competition. We want to understand, you know, win rates and whatnot. So I guess it's just become second nature to start analyzing data, starting analyzing how you can beat uh, or win. And that's maybe a byproduct of, uh, of the world. I think it's a, a different kind of competition because I definitely am a very competitive person as well. I know a lot of RevOps people who almost scare me with how competitive they can be, but it's, I think, different than sales. Well, the competitive thing would apply because you not only run revenue operations, but you also run demand generation. Can you, can you describe what, that, what demand generation means for you at MessageBird? Yeah, for us at MessageBird, uh, demand gen is... Uh, a lot of uh, paid social, so making sure that we uh, build, add, stream, and create demand from uh, whether LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, uh, of course, uh, paid ads on uh, also Google. These are key tenants. And because the company has been growing fast and maturing, there have been time also when our team was also in charge of, uh, our demand gen team was also in charge of 
some of the film marketing aspects or uh, building the dig- digital events. These have been some of these um, key responsibilities, so paid social and then overall campaign management and then film marketing aspect too. And I know that um, you know a lot of organizations have marketing ops and demand gen separate. Some are together. Some rev ops doesn't even include marketing ops. So, so I would love to hear more about how your demand gen side of your organization works with marketing ops and and the collaboration that happens there, and even into sales operations. Yeah, and I would say that uh, demand gen being part of this team is maybe a, a little bit more unusual than uh, at most companies. But I do see the value of uh, having sales, customer success, and marketing ops under one umbrella. Uh, and I've seen the benefits of doing it at previous company. And I've also seen the, you know, the times when it w- wasn't working well. And not necessarily answering immediately your question, but uh, there used to be a time in my previous experience when you would have on one end marketing ops, along with Dimension, showing dashboards where everything is green. We are all uh, achieving our goals. Everything is perfect. And then on the other end, everyone in sales telling us, hey, Matthew, like, hey, or, you know, Revenue Apps or other teams, we're not seeing any leads. Uh, how can we see all of these dashboards showing like a notion of green when we are not getting anything? So I think uh, this is kind of like the challenge when you have, have siloed organizations and everyone you know, seems to have different data sources or seems to speak you know, a different language. And when you bring things together, particularly uh, you know, under our revenue operations and sales and marketing apps together, that's where you can you know, have a unified way of like, looking at you know, the revenue life cycle. And you cannot have a team that says, okay, we're looking good, and another team say, we, no, that's not true. So that's, a, I guess, a big benefit that I've seen in you know, organizing the team under revenue operation. And that's also uh, a big trend because now we have centralized access to data uh, it's much easier to do it as well. Since you have all three of those responsibilities across sales, customer success, and marketing, I'm wondering who you report into because there's always, as we consolidate those functions, like do you, should you report into the head of sales, the head of marketing, somebody else, the COO, the CFO? There's so many options. To whom do you report? Yeah, and maybe one, uh, one note, actually, customer success is uh, separated uh, today. That, that is okay, uh, but at the previous role, it was under, all under one umbrella. And where we report into today is uh, into our CFO and president. That makes sense. Yeah, I think reporting into the CFO is pretty common. It's also, you mentioned, there should be one set of, there's one truth about what the numbers are. And in many of the organizations that I've worked for, the the ultimate truth has to come from finance. And they, they tend to be the biggest sticklers, as, as you would expect. It's also not only what the numbers are, but what they mean. I have always kind of said, tell the story, not the news, right? I a lot of the times you might have a number and you might all agree on it, but what is green, like you were saying, to, to marketing might not be green to sales in terms of actual success. So I think that you know what you're saying really helps me connect the dots to on aligning on those success metrics. Well, Matthew, I know that you, like us, are in 2022 planning mode. So without giving away too much secret secret sauce, what are the more challenging things that you're thinking about revenue strategy-wise for, for, next, for next year? I think a couple of things that we are improving this year is really like, you know, building this entire connection between uh, leads to uh, uh, NQL, SQL, opportunities, win rate and whatnot. One of the things that last year we didn't have really in place is this, uh, you know, end-to-end operating model where, 
you know, you define your revenue margin target, and then you, you know, from that, and at a regional or you know, uh, territory level, you, you know, you come back to look at, okay, well, based on our win rates, what's going to be our, you know, demand and expectation. So we, uh, last year, the company was uh, even much smaller than it is today. And so we didn't have that level of granularity. So this year, what we are tr- really trying to uh, build in this operating model is uh, the entire uh, continuum of the revenue and making sure that all of our dimension, all of our marketing SDR goals are completely baked into the model based on much more data that we also have this year from uh, you know, operational improvements. And so what we uh, are also looking at is, okay, what is going to be the partner contribution? What is going to be uh, their part in the model? So a lot of components that sometimes can be, uh, you take for granted at large organizations, you know, at message, but we've been growing pretty fast. So these were not in place uh, this year. So my team in revenue operation is working much more closely and giving much more insights also with the FPNA, commercial FPNA team to build this end-to-end model so that we not only have, you know, top-down, but we also have these orchestrations. That's one angle. And then one other part that we are working super hard as well is to really build this uh, bottom-up approach that, Last year, we didn't have enough. And by bottom-up approach, meaning getting much more inputs from our sales leaders on you know, where we want to grow, how big we can go, and getting their sense of you know, maybe we don't have historical data there. Maybe this place is not a place we've been winning, but there is a potential. We know the market. There's growth opportunities. So we are spending a lot more time building actually these narratives and that's maybe a segue to the other topic we're uh, we're discussing, but building this, you know, go-to-market plans bottom up so that after in the coming months, we can reconcile, you know, the top-down numbers we need to hit uh, on a gross, you know, level plus with this bottom up and inclusive of all of the marketing dimension and other aspects of the uh, model. You just mentioned the word narrative. So yeah, I think that is a natural, natural segue. before we press record, I was reflecting on the fact that our our chief product officer, who who joined us a few months back from Tableau, brought an Amazon approach. I know it's I, I guess Tableau must have adopted uh, one of these Amazon approaches, which is you know Amazon has this thing of no PowerPoint, and instead of PowerPoint, they basically write. We would have called this a hundred years ago uh, memos, right? They're but they're writing narratives is the new fancy way to describe it, and and there's some you know there are some advantages. To you know, to doing things that way. Now, having experienced that, as you applied that to your own planning process, what do you think about the written narrative as opposed to the slide? I got to be friendly to Google, I guess, and so not just Microsoft PowerPoint, but Google Slides. Yeah, yeah. I think the the big um, you know the big benefit is empowerment. Number one, there used to be a time when we would you know gather you know, feedback from sales. Hey, you know what are what are the top countries? And a couple of slides with lack of you know depth. But these narratives help us, you know, as we provide also a template and recommendations to our sales leader, go a couple of layers down and define, okay, if uh, we want to go in this uh, area, this market, uh, okay, great, this is how we can grow, but also this is other resources that we need. But And what are the cross-functional areas where, and the ratios we need to apply on like SDRs, customer success, solution engineering, and the other teams. So this first uh, going from like slides to narratives help you know put down on paper really like uh, a more uh, uh, an in-depth amount of uh, a more in-depth thinking. Second, it helps really like collaborate with other teams because 
you know, the process of narratives is also as we've been through like, you know, planning workshop is people read the narrative for, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then they ask comments and questions on the doc itself. And then, you know, that's more like the operating process, but, but then that helps also fine tune the level of conversation based on the you know, key feedback that we receive. And the level of quality of the conversation is much more improved. That's kind of like uh, overall, but uh, you know, the key thing is that people feel much more empowered to now think about their market, think about the go-to-market as truly like owners of it instead of just saying, okay, we need two sales reps next year because we need to grow X percent. So that's you know, the real, real benefit. And the second benefit is more cross-functional collaboration because now everybody has access to what type of thinking has gone into this. And, uh, and they can ask questions, they can comment, and they can provide feedback. I wonder if there's a resurgence and an opportunity for writing training. I've noticed brand new salespeople come in. They went to college, but I almost feel as though some of them skipped English English class or something like that because the writing, you know, there are exceptions, but the writing is often not great. Jenna, I'm curious, because you've worked at some bigger companies, did they ever bring you through writing workshops? Not particularly. I think, um, you know, we've we've had it in, I started in customer success. So I think for those kinds of roles, we did have writing tests or writing samples as part of the interview process, potentially for, you know, depending on what segment you were in. But we really didn't, nor I've been, has been anything that was formal writing training. I think it's also a different motion than maybe, you know, Jeremy, where you're referring to going to college and, and learning how to write. I was actually a journalism major. So really getting succinct, and especially when you have an audience that might not want to read a 20-page document. What are the facts? What are What is the data behind this? What are the observations? What do we think this means? And then what are the recommendations? And I think that is a really good jumping off point to start getting that conversation going and not have useless meetings you know, where you're talking about the same thing in circles. I would even say sometimes, uh, actually, the GMAT type of tests are great at being much more succinct in writing. So I've seen this being very successful. Yeah, I was going to say, I think um, it kind of previously before we started recording, we were talking about hiring also being top of mind. I think this segues really nicely into that where, you know, you're talking about what testing and what what kind of things you're looking for in a hire, especially as we're going through this narrative, as we're going through specific profiles and this market right now. You know, it's definitely a job seekers market and it's hard to get the right talent. So I'd be curious to know what your thoughts are there and what you're looking for. We're hiring a lot. I think we have a more than 50 open positions uh, at any given time uh, as a company overall. Yeah, it's been a great market for, for job seekers, lots of opportunities, lots of companies getting a lot of funding, and, and therefore people having uh, way more uh, in the opportunities at end to evaluate. And that's, that's also when, as an organization, your brand awareness is super, super, super critical. So one of the things that we need to work as an organization and message board is on brand awareness. We you know, we have some strengths in Europe, a little bit in Asia Pacific, but in the North American market, we uh, we are not very well known yet. It's super critical because uh, yeah, people uh, need to understand what are the values, what are you know, what is a company, what is a brand. So that kind of like uh, some of the efforts that uh, you know we have ongoing. And then in terms of uh, you know what we're looking for, definitely as you know as we shift toward this uh, you know more narrative or data driven. I think this is maybe one aspect, but at least for my team, yeah, the analytical skills, communication skills, writing skills are tested during the, the process. But yeah, I would say this is a you know, market where people have much more options and where you want to come up with you know, a clear value proposition. 
one complexity I would assume, right, is is I count that you're operating in at least eight locations, headquarters in Amsterdam, obviously, as you said, San Francisco, but then Asia Pac, which you mentioned, Singapore, Shanghai, I guess you could throw Sydney in there, and then uh, more of continental Europe, London, Dublin, and you've got even Central and South America down in Colombia. How, how are you approaching hiring across eight different regions? So we have shifted as a company to a, a remote first approach. So it's also a big change for us. We used to have a couple of big hubs, but the biggest hubs were in uh, Amsterdam and Singapore, where we had like big offices. And of course, with the companies we've acquired in Maryland, we also have another offices in the East Coast of the US and, uh, and then a couple of smaller uh, hubs around the world. Now, as we are transitioning to remote first, uh, it's completely also different thinking and approach to hiring and to uh, putting practices in place to uh, do that well. An example of that is, uh, of course, you, know, you need to have great onboarding for anyone joining. You need to have everything you know, documented, much more you know, clear processes, handbooks, and so forth. But also, you know, it gives you opportunity to hire people all, all around the world. And now we're no longer constrained on having a couple of locations only. So on one end, uh, yeah, there's much more effort that needs to be done on the, I guess, process and book uh, and way of working virtually. Uh, on the other end, it opens up also more, uh, more countries because as we were just discussing earlier, since there is like so much competition for companies to for great talent, that's one thing, but uh, that makes it difficult to hire uh, people and find people. But on the other end, we are also getting applicants from countries where we'd never had anyone. So for instance, this morning, I was speaking with like a great person from Ghana. I had never interviewed anyone from, from Ghana. Some parts of Africa where I had very, very few candidates. And now all of a sudden, we have amazing candidates from countries where we didn't used to have anyone. So that also opens up for like a, a bigger pool of candidates. And that's uh, compensate, at least for uh, compensate a little bit for the fact that there's uh, more uh, sometimes jobs than uh, applicants. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. I guess if we had an, an HR show, it's uh, the other complexity there is every country has its own standards for the workplace, right? So if you're hiring in, you know, Germany versus London versus Ghana, you, you have to you know respect the local laws for for bringing people on. On, on the hiring front, more specifically to to your team, when you look to hire revenue operations people, what profiles do you find are the best fit? There's two types of profiles, particularly on the you know strong strategy ops planning. Number one profile are the people who have not necessarily had an experience in revenue ops before, but have been in top tier consulting firm or bank investment banking firms. Extremely smart people from a that can quickly understand the business and quickly like uh, build models and really help drive analytical and I mean, analytics and strategy. These people are very very successful uh, usually in in this team at least uh, you know the ops and the I mean, analytics strategy and planning. And number two, of course, people who've been there done that for many years. The only approach you're in danger is you want to make sure that these people also have the expertise or at least aspirations of working in an environment that can be different if you are like a, you know, at a Salesforce, very established, large company or Google versus coming to a company like MessageBird where you need to be, you know, very proactive, very autonomous, and a lot of things are not defined yet. So that's kind of like a different types of almost mindset. But these are the two profiles and the the one that are really, really pushed for, particularly for the buying team are people who are 
extremely analytical, usually with like a quant background. The latest person we hired doing great is a person who had a, a background in econometrics and statistics and then was doing sales ops at another company for, for many years. So that's kind of like a, the, love, the level is uh, on now the data, you know, data analytics. And of course, the business savviness is, is really, really high. Do you ever find challenges with the competing definitions of sales ops or rev ops in your applicants? I would say the key differences are twofold. Having people think that sometimes sales ops is just about the technology and process versus people understanding that sales ops or revenue ops is actually much more than that. And sometimes you have applicants who are, and we try to be very specific, but you know, you, you have a different profile, whether you want to have a, you know, more Salesforce technology admin or process person versus someone who is uh, working on the data analytics. And sometimes people can think that if you've done one, you can do the other while the skills are slightly different. So, so it's about making sure that, uh, you know, you set the expectation and people understand what will be within RevOps, you know, the team that they will be part of. Because in my view, there are like, you know, three sub teams within RevOps, which is there's one team that is more technology centric, uh, making all of our tech stack work. Another team that is more strategy planning processes. And the third team that is more enablement. And these teams have also very different job description and very different profiles. So first, like delineating between what is what. And then within each role, like sales ops, marketing ops, personal success ops, there are also like, you know, slight subtleties. And that's where, based on the maturity of the company, you want to have maybe more in a role that are, you know, more technical, more like process or more data. I mean, if you only have process and technology, then your RevOps won't be as strategic as it can be. Yeah, I think a lot of times there's pressure to do it all, especially at a really small company where it's maybe you're hired for strategy and really they need Salesforce admin, right? And I I think that that's where you get a lot of different profiles coming in for any job applicant because depending on where they've worked and the, the maturity of the company, you end up with a wide range of qualifications. Uh, exactly, and that's when... Uh, you need to be very deliberate on your job description and you know really explaining what you're looking for and not having a generic like sales ups uh, come in and you'll be doing sales ups. <laughs> we covered a ton of ground today, but I, I had one final question for you, which is, you know, imagine someone's coming in to be a new RevOps leader in a company and they don't have the luxury of going through the data yet, but they have to do something that they've done before that they know is most likely to move the needle that's going to have an impact on the business. So for you, if you were to you know, start it at a new company, what have you done in the past that has been the highest return on effort, return on investment for you? A couple of things. Number one, of course, understanding the history of the company. You know, What is the maturity? So understanding people, understanding the company history is important because you can't come with a playbook diagnostic of, hey, this is what we're going to apply. We're going to apply, let's say, yeah, the Amazon model and then, uh, or the um, Google model, any model. And then this is something that the company isn't ready for or you know, not having the infrastructure of the people yet. So understanding where, where the company is by building relationship is a number one uh, thing I would do. And then number two is once you've, you know, understood a little bit of the history, you know, uh, build relationships. Of course, very, very quickly, uh, if not week one, week two, understanding, you know, performance, where is the company, what are the key, uh, where are we doing well, where are we doing not well, and what are going to be the priorities 
Uh, and that can be business performance, but it can also be process maturity, making sure as you join to understand how do you prioritize and how do you prioritize based on where you are, based on the culture and based on where you want to go in terms of growth. I love that you're an analytical person, but the first place you went to was around relationship structure. I think that's uh, that shows a, an awesome balance. And I think that is a characteristic of top leaders in general, including including RevOps leaders. Well, Matthew, it was so great to have you on today. And uh, uh, is it okay if people who want to come join MessageBird reach out to you via LinkedIn? Absolutely. Always uh, happy to entertain uh, any candidates interested in joining us uh, and speaking with us. Again, thanks for being on. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, Jeremy and Jenna. Thanks so much. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast. 